Hey, it's your host, Charlotte Chipperfield, and welcome to the Holistic Marketing Podcast, the show that inspires you to think holistically about yourself, your business, and your marketing to ignite the impact you desire to have on the world. We'll learn what it takes to be seen and heard in the digital space from leading experts and myself as a marketing executive and the former founder of Chipperfield Media. Get ready to own your marketing by exploring the intersection of purpose and proactive marketing to move your business forward. Welcome to the Holistic Marketing Podcast. Today, Michael Jonas is joining us, who is the principal attorney and owner of Rational Unicorn Legal Services. This is a community-based business law firm offering pay-as-you-go legal services, which includes business formation, contract review and drafting, trademark and copyright applications, and conflict resolution. Michael also serves on the board of two nonprofit organizations, the New Leaders Council and the Sean Goodman Foundation for Performing Arts. Basically, Michael is an all-around amazing person. Today, we're going to demystify all the legal tasks required for starting a business. You know, many business owners feel very unclear, overwhelmed when it comes to understanding the legal side of starting a business, which is why I am thrilled to welcome Michael with us today. So welcome, Michael. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to to be here talking to you. And thank you for your kind words. Oh, absolutely. Yes, you are an amazing person. I've loved getting to know you over the years. And I think you have so much valuable information that we're going to talk about today. But I'd love for you to start and maybe just tell everyone a little about who you are and kind of what inspired you to become a lawyer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So first of all, uh, my firm, um, Rational Unicorn, we do community business law. So what that means is um, we help small businesses, nonprofits, and artists and entertainers. So um, think of, you know, single mother opening a coffee shop, the the refugee opening a food truck, the, um, you know, two people in their garage kind of tinkering around and deciding to open up their their first t-shirt business, things like that. So it's definitely uh, very relationship-oriented law, very community-oriented law. Um, so, you know, when I finally passed the bar, I had to take multiple bar exams. Um, I decided that I wanted to combine um, community building with business building. I thought that community, and if you hear noises, by the way, I'm, I'm at home and it's pandemic time. So those are, those are our dogs, um, Edison and Ginsburg. Um, but basically I, you know, I thought, okay, well, is there a way to do public interest and community, um, and, and law or business at the same time? Um, a lot of business law firms, um, or corporate business law in general, they're somewhat inaccessible to a lot of people. So, um, for example, they often charge a large retainer of, two or $3,000 to start, and then it gets put into a trust fund, or you're getting billed every 15 minutes um, or for every email. It's just very transactional, very corporate, very, uh, very dry. So, so, so the idea, um, you know, we're, our branding is different, not just in our name, but we're a benefit company. So we believe in not just profit, but planet and people. And so, a big part of what we do is education-based, making sure that people know what their options are. So um, instead of having this relationship with an attorney where they're kind of talking down to you or condescending or prescribing for you, you know, we 
we talk to people, we figure out what they need, we have a relationship and we give people an a la carte menu of all of their options. So basically saying, instead of giving us, you know, thousands of dollars for a retainer, how about we tell you four possible projects that you might need and then we cap them and say, you know, this is including calls and emails, this is including contract editing, for example, in the bill. And then that way people can actually budget, they know what they're getting and they know that they're going to have a completed project at the end. I think with me, the biggest thing is, you know, I, I'm still fairly young, I like to think, but I've I've lived, right? So I have done real estate, I've done conflict resolution, I've done promotional work, I have, um, you know, sold real estate, I think I said that, I have sort of done every kind of job. And um, I wanted it to be so that our firm was a place for people to be who they are. And that's just not who they are as a person in terms of their gender or sexuality, but in terms of where they're at in life, you know, if they're doing multiple things, if they have multiple dreams or multiple goals, that's okay. We'll meet people where they are. And that's the whole concept of the rational unicorn is I want to, if my business be a rational unicorn, but I also want our clients to be that as well. And so essentially a rational unicorn is a person who they have the big dreams. They could be in eight different directions but they take the time to do their homework, to do reality testing, to do the business and the legal processes that are needed. And then because the person's done that, they are able to frolic in the meadow or you know, glitter or shine even more because they're the unicorn that's out there who has done all the necessary things. So it's a, it's a combination of being a realist and a dreamer. And so that's what I that's what I think I am. And then also that's what I think, um, you know, most of our clients are or strive to be because if you have a realness to your dreams, um, it actually enables you to add additional dreams or to grow them. You're sort of floating and grounded at the same time. So that's what a rational unicorn is. Yeah, I absolutely love that description. And I think that fits so many entrepreneurs as well. And when you were talking too about why you created your company and wanting to move away from being one of these large law firms that charges these huge retainers, I think that can be one of the biggest barriers is we often, first of all, as new entrepreneurs don't know what we don't know. And then the second part of it, it is a barrier because that's a huge financial investment. If you're just looking to ask a couple questions about you know, certain paperwork you need to file just to get started with your business. That can be such a big area uh, barrier to people that do have big dreams and are just looking to frolic in the meadow, right? We just want to be yeah. out there in the world giving what we have to give. And so I just love so much about your mission, making it accessible, and then also tying it back to the relationship piece. It's so important that we are building community, you know, within our, where our businesses may be physically located or even these days where it's more online. But that part is so important just to our success in general. Yeah, and then definitely. I also love your other commitment to the education side. I mean, it's such an important part. Like I said, it's like we often don't know what we don't know. So when it comes to legal things, many times it's it's such a scary thing, just like being a CPA or the accounting side of business often is something that entrepreneurs aren't always the best at. So that education piece, I think, is also so important. Yeah, that's definitely true. And And, you know, we try to not just educate on the choices as far as legal projects, but 
on other things related to business. So, you know, when you start a business, it's extremely overwhelming. There's all these organizations, right? There's the Secretary of State and the Portland Revenue Division and the Oregon Revenue Department and Bully. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And so there's this big question of like, who are all these organizations? How do they relate to my business? Do I need to be licensed? Do I not? Um, so it just gets very, very overwhelming. And the really hard thing about being a business owner or a successful business owner is you have to be good at the thing that you're doing, whether that's a product or a service, but you also have to be good at the other part, the admin, the networking, the marketing, um, the people who are really good at the other part. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're good at everything related. It may be that they can, like what you said earlier, know what you know and know what you don't know. So essentially you make a squad of people that are great. You know, I'm horrible at accounting, so I have a CPA, right? I have people to reach out for, for marketing, development. Um, and, and so knowing what you're good at or not good at or pushing yourself to do those other things so the legal thing is a really interesting thing because not only does legal stuff relate to access and um, a lot of trauma for people, a lot of fear, because the story that they've heard about a lawyer, even if it's not a business lawyer, you know, it could have been that a lawyer um, put someone that they know in prison. It could be that a lawyer um, caused a family to go bankrupt or to foreclose on their home. There, a lot of people haven't necessarily had a positive relationship with lawyers or with law. So a big part of it is is the messaging, the reminder that um, this is actually a good thing and we're here to help you. We're not here to cause problems. And if you come to us earlier on, um, if there is an issue or there is a liability issue, because we have helped you and we have built that relationship, we have a contract, we have a paper trail, we have already talked about what might happen if things go bad. So something that actually occurs, we now have all of the, um, the toolboxes or toolbox items that are, that are there and that are present. Yeah, that's such a wonderful service to be offering. And I think you're right. So many people do have a very negative relationship with the law or lawyers as a result of almost having to be reactive to a situation that's happened. And I think one of the kind of advantages to the business law side as a entrepreneur starting a business is that you're almost being proactive and I guess getting your ducks in a row so that you aren't faced with things further down the road or if you are it makes it easier to handle them versus it feeling like such a scary negative reason for why you might work with a lawyer yeah that, that's absolutely right and and I think the other part of that that I was going to mention is um, a lot of people say to me like I know nothing about contracts or I you know I can't do this. This is complicated. And then I say, I say back to them, like, I don't know how to bake a four layer cake or I don't know how to, um, you know, weave or knit or, you know, I don't know how to do the things that, that our clients do. Right. So the idea that you would be expected based on either education in America or based on um, past career or that you would automatically know um, what to do in terms of certain business related things um, it's just not realistic. So I think that's a piece of this as well as forgiving yourself for not knowing what you don't know, but just admitting that I don't know what I don't know and getting help, um, and working through those issues. Um, cause a lot of people with the legal stuff, they play this sort of ostrich in the sand, you know, like 
oh, I'll grab a contract from the internet. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. I'm not really worried about that. I'm not going to get sued. You know, my clients are friends or my business partner is, is a friend of my sister's. Um, but the reality is, is that those are all very important things that if not done correctly can lead to numerous issues down the road. Um, so what you were mentioning about uh, preventative business law, it's extremely important. And these are things that we don't do every day. I mean, I may help you negotiate a commercial lease like once every five years, right? I may help you trademark your company, you know, once. So it's, it's kind of like all the other things we do in life, like for your business, you have to do those as well. Like you have doctor checkups or you go to the dentist, you know, it's kind of the same thing for law for your business. Like you have to make sure your business is in good health and then you have to check on your business to see where it's at periodically. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to actually dive into thinking about, you know, as an entrepreneur, starting a business and maybe we could pretend I'm going to open a bakery. (laughs) I'm going to get on the cupcake craze and give it new energy in Portland. And if I was a baker opening a bakery, do you have kind of maybe your top, I don't know, pieces of legal that need to be in place or to have an entrepreneur thinking about as they're creating that business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, First of all, I love bakeries and coffee shops, and we have, know, who we, have doesn't? Of, <laughs> we have a lot of clients who um, who do bakery stuff, catering things, coffee shop things, and it's it's dangerous, right? You try not to eat everything, but right. Um, so, so the first thing that I think people people don't realize is even if you can register a name at the state level. So if I pick a name or if you pick a name, you know, um, Charlotte's, uh, chocolate chips. I'm just trying to think of something, (laughs) uh, Charlotte's cookies. I mean, that has a good name to it. You know, I have to, I, I check or you check the, the secretary of state site and you go, Oh, there's, there's no business name this in, in Oregon or Washington, you know, I'm fine. Right. The problem with that is that the Secretary of State registration doesn't match the trademarking. The United States Patent and Trademark Office, they don't communicate with the state and vice versa. And so Mm -hmm. what happens is people think because they can register that name that they're free and clear of that name. Um, The issue is, is that they're not because there could be, you know, a Charlotte in Kansas who has a bakery the same name. But her protection is actually added protection because she has a federal trademark for that name. So you could go about your day and you could be in business and you could receive a cease and desist letter and you have to change your name and your logo and your branding and whatever. So um, that's a step that's important is doing what we call a viability search for your name. So whether or not you want to trademark it or not, we need to also see that you're not currently infringing upon another party who has federal protection. So that would be something that I would want to do, um, especially for something like a bakery, because it's going to be on social media. It's going to be shared. You know, it's something, you know, like if you, uh, not that, not that any uh, intellectual property concerns are not important, but you know, if you were doing like um, tax auditing, right? Like that may not be as, social media heavy as something like a cupcake shop, which could be everywhere. 
So that would be the first thing I would do. And then we would register your business. We would figure out if you're going to be an LLC or you're going to be a corporation. Most of our clients are LLCs because there's a little bit less formality. We would, um, you know, prepare all the LLC paperwork. We would prepare an operating agreement. Um, if you had a business partner, um, you know, we would want to do a partnership operating agreement so that we could talk about profits and losses and roles and how the two of you are sharing liability. Um, or maybe you have an investor and the investor is a partner, but they don't have an operating role. Maybe they're what we call a limited partner. And so um, they would give an investment for a certain amount of money. So say $10,000 and being a limited partner, if things go well, they can make money. If things go bad or you're sued or you go bankrupt, the only amount that they would lose would be that $10,000. They can't lose more or be responsible for more. Um, so we would just want to figure out who else is involved, right? Like if there's nobody else involved, that's great. But if there is somebody else involved, we should do some sort of contracting with them to make sure that the roles and expectations are clear, the liability is clear, any expected profits, that's clear. Um, the thing is, is you're either in business or you're not. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just kind of doing a thing. I'm selling this. You can't kind of do a thing because the moment you sell something or the moment that you offer a service, your liability is there, right? So even if you're doing one thing, you know, once or twice a year, you have to ask yourself, am I in business or am I not in business? And chances are you're in business. So yeah, that's thing, a really great point. I feel like I've even gotten asked this from other entrepreneurs. They're like, at what stage do I need to register my business? Because they feel like they're kind of testing the waters to see what the response is like, to see if they're really all in on their business. So I'm curious if, I mean, I imagine you get that question too, but how do you kind of guide people through that? Is it as cut and dry as you just sold something so you are in business or is there maybe a window of experimentation that I mean, if, if they sold one thing and that's it, you know, that's it. Right. But if this is something that you want to do, you know, you want to make several woodworking projects or you, um, there's continuance. It's not just that one thing that you sold and that's it. Then you definitely, um, should go forth and should do all the business things. Because if you think about it from a liability perspective, one item that you sell or two items that you sell, that could be the one that causes, some sort of liability, right? So um, one of the things I wanted to mention is one of the reasons why we create a, an LLC or a corporation is so that we have protection. We have a corporate shield around your personal liability. So um, if you don't do that, if you just file an assumed business name, it's not considered the same legal protection. Or if you just are yourself and you don't file anything with the Secretary of State and you're doing a business or you're doing a service, um, what's happening is your personal and your business liability are combined and your assets are commingled. So if someone were to sue you, they would be able to get to your car, your house, your your personal bank account. So when we create a business entity like an LLC or a corporation, what we're doing is we're protecting the the like, for example, the LLC, the limited liability company. What we're doing is we're limiting the liability of you personally. That's what we're doing is. We're creating a corporate shield so that all of the business operating expenses, all the money that comes in, it's all under one business bank account. Um, and it's tied to an EIN, which is 
an employer identification number, which um, even if you don't have employees, even if it's just you, instead of using your social security number on everything, um, what we're doing is we're creating this separate entity. So we have a business bank account that is opened with the EIN that is tied to the new LLC and money's going to come in and out through the LLC. You're going to pay yourself from the LLC or from the corporation. Um, so that's really important because a lot of people also think that if you just create the entity that you're protected and it's not just the entity creation, it's do I have contracts coming from the business outward? Am I separating my banking? Am I not co what they call commingling funds where I have personal and business expenses kind of in the same area or used for the same sort of things? So even though it's just you, we're creating this sort of corporate shell and we're giving it protection from our personal liability. So that's all really important. Um, the contract piece I mentioned, that would be another thing here. Um, maybe for your bakery, you have order forms. Um, maybe you have uh, terms of use or privacy policy on your website. Maybe you have disclaimers, you know, about allergens. Um, you know, all it takes is one person who maybe is allergic to one of the things and, um, we have, you know, a potential legal issue. So maybe we should have information on, on, uh, types of products and things that might cause allergies and who is liable or who is not liable for that. Um, the order form, maybe you're doing some catering. So maybe you have a catering agreement, you're baking cookies in mass or cupcakes in mass for, um, you know, a wedding or a, a quinceanera or bar mitzvah or something. Well, what if you buy all the products and that person cancels? Are they paying for those supplies? So there's sort of outward client agreements. There's agreements with potential partners. Um, and then there's agreements that you may have with a vendor. So for example, with a bakery, if there's a particular person who supplies flour um, and they don't show up, what happens? Do they pay the extra amount of money that you had to pay? Do if, if 20 of your clients needed that flower because of an allergen, you know, or, or a specific type of, of grain, um, or you can't fulfill an order for one of your catering contracts is the person who did not provide the flower liable to you. So, Having vendor contracts is extremely important for anybody that's in business. Um, the, the thing is, as I often talk about, you know, what's the difference between an agreement and a contract? And we often use them interchangeably. Um, a contract is a legally enforceable binding document. So I could say back to the person who is supplying me flour or sugar or whatever it is, by the way, because you didn't give me this by this, the time that you had promised, um, you're going to have to pay the additional cost that I have. I can't do that with a mere agreement, right? If it's sort of here nor there, maybe I'll be your Thursday, maybe I'll be your Sunday. So what you want to do as a business owner is you want to evaluate all the relationships that you have and you want to ask what is just an agreement and what is actually a contract or what is something I can put into the right legal language and legal execution so that I know that I'm able to enforce this. And this could be about everything. I mean, this could be about packaging materials. Like maybe you have a certain 
box that you use. Maybe it's stickers. You know, maybe it's, um, I mean, it, literally anything, the type of frosting. We have clients who, um, they, they put things in jars. Well, what happens if you need more jars and that company runs out? So just knowing what your um, supply chain and all of your relationships are and then assessing, do I have agreements or do I have contracts? Um, that's a really important piece of this. And yeah, then the other I love one that is, distinction. I've never really thought about how contract and agreement, like you said, we use them so interchangeably. So I've never really thought about how significant that can be, especially with, you know, this bakery, I'm opening Charlotte's cookies. And sometimes I think you just have to be flexible with vendors. But if you can really establish contracts that are like, this actually does impact my business and my customers if you don't show up. So having that in writing, Maybe feels a little harsh, but at the same time, if it's going to impede your business, yeah. especially like consistently, like that's definitely something you have and, to be kind of firm about what your expectations are. Yeah. And I think that's right. I think that a lot of people, they don't like contracts or they say, I don't really need to sign a contract. Um, it's how you present it, right? So you need to tell the other party that this isn't just to protect me and my business. This is to protect you and your business, right? This is going to also ensure that you're getting paid um, and also ensure our roles and expectations. So a lot of people have this sort of like, oh, contracts are one over. I'm going to slip this and I'm going to make sure you sign this and, you know, ha ha ha, I'm screwing you over. <laughs> but really it's, it's, it's two parties coming together or more to set both of their expectations and it's protective for both parties. And if the other party uh, doesn't like a term, they could tell you and you can negotiate it. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention is with a lot of our business owner clients, we can do something called a, a requirements contract. So, you know, what if all of a sudden you sell thousands more cookies? Can this supplier provide them? What if you sell less? Are they going to drop you as a client? Like figuring out the highs and lows and contracting for them um, is a really uh, essential part of this because, what happens is people open an additional location or they grow or COVID hits, right? And there's this question of where are we at, like contractually? And so if we can account for that in the contract and we can talk about there being variations and both parties okay with the variations, um, even if we don't know the exact terms, we can put processes in contracts. So we can say, this is how we'll figure out what the damages are or you know, if this happens, this is the procedure we'll take, or this third party is going to mediate um, our dispute. So we can sort of put things in there that are processes and not specific numbers if we need to. Um, the last piece of that, and I know that I, you know, I talk a lot, but the last piece of that is the intellectual property piece, which is, is the trademarking. And I kind of touched a little bit upon that when I talked about business name and, and business logo, but it's a little bit more with intellectual property. It's it's knowing that all of the things that you're doing, they have just as much value as the product or service. So what if you have an internal manual or you have a, a unique way of doing things or you have a workbook for your clients or you're doing online seminars? It's you want to figure out what intellectual property am I creating? Some of it may be internal for internal processes. Some of it may be external for clients, but asking yourself, um, who is the owner of this and who is using this? 
So for example, in a contract, um, you know, by default, a contractor usually maintains the ownership of their intellectual property or their creation in an employer employee situation, the employee, whatever they make, the employer owns. Well, what if I told you that, you know, if we called it a work for hire, you've probably heard that term, you can make it so that the owner, the client becomes the owner versus the contractor. So the main point in all this is who is owning the intellectual property that's created? How is it shared? If I give you this and I say, okay, well, you contracted with me and I'm giving you ownership, maybe I want to reserve um, a portfolio use for my own marketing. You know, what if I told you I, I have clients who didn't do that and they work for a company for 10 years and they have no ability to use those items as a portfolio um, or for marketing purposes. So that's just the major overarching theme is asking yourself, what intellectual property have I created and what am I creating? And do I own it? And does the, or does the other party own it? Or is there some sort of licensing arrangement where I own it and I'm licensing it to them or they're owning it, but I'm asking back for a license for portfolio or for marketing use. Um, so a lot of us don't give enough attention and time to assess our intellectual property and how it should be protected. So that's a big one here, um, especially, you know, so like the cupcakes or the, or the cookies, it's very difficult to copyright recipes but what if you had the name of a, of a cupcake or the name of a, a cookie and um, it became really popular and someone else made the same thing, the same name, right? That company could potentially dilute your brand because they can make a crappier version or they could steal business from you or customers from you. So when we think about, wow, okay, it's not just my, my brand name or my brand logo, it's potentially the name of my product line or the name of one of my successful products. Um, it's, it's how I do things. It's my proprietary information, right? Um, that sort of paints a new picture, especially in this virtual world that we have of how is our information and our ideas and our content going out there being disseminated and who owns it or who has permission to use it. Um, so that, that's the other piece of that. Yeah, that's such an important piece. Absolutely. And definitely there's so many different ways that you can frame that too, so that you still have access to information, but can still, you know, share it with other people. But it's just about making sure you've got the right terms in that contract. So just kind of to recap, so if we're looking at an entrepreneur who's thinking about starting a business, it sounds like there's kind of four main steps to take from a legal perspective. So the first is to really do a viability search, not just at the state level, but the federal trademark level to make sure that your name is not infringing on another brand. The second piece was to register your business. So that is setting up an LLC or corporation, and then also assessing if you need an operation agreement. I think under that umbrella too, like you said, was really creating this shell of a corporation that essentially gets its own social security number in the form of an EIN number, mm -hmm. its own banking accounts. So you can make sure that your personal and business are separate. Uh, the third piece is really talking about contracts and also agreements and the difference between those two. And then the fourth that we just touched on, the intellectual property, 
from anything from licensing agreements to trademarks. Yeah, that that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And of course, there's other ones. You know, um, if you're ready for a commercial lease, some people are right away. Some people are not. Um, commercial leases are kind of wild west shows, right? It could be a 65 page document from 1995 and you know, what does any of it mean? And, and so that's a big um, part of this. And so that, what I want to highlight as part of this relationship component of our business is if I can catch you at your idea stage, right? Um, I can work with you on doing these steps or our other attorneys can work with you on doing these steps so, for example, the you know the, we were talking about a bakery. We actually have a client um, that I'm thinking of now, Unicorn Bake Shop, which is a similar name. Where I got Carrie, a birthday cake from them once. It was delicious. <laughs> yeah, and so Carrie, you know, I knew her when she was baking in her kitchen. She had a really, I don't want to say horrible, but she had you know your standard nine to five tech job for probably 20 years, and really has always loved baking, and was just like, I don't want to do this tech thing anymore, and I'm going to phase it out. So. You know, I met Carrie when she was not yet at a commercial bakery and just starting, like selling at markets. And, and but, but the thing is, is I'm able to, at that point, develop that relationship and we can talk about these things. So then when Carrie was ready for the commercial lease to start her commercial bakery, um, I, not only did I already know her, but I'm able to take the commercial lease and look through it and see if that matches what she may or may not need, um, you know, both from a business standpoint and then from a cultural fit, of course, and uh, just assessing, like, is this a good space? Is this a good contract? So that's another service that we do. We also have all kinds of things come up, right? We have, we have clients who are owed money, so we have to write legal demand letters. We have um, a lot of contract reviewing. So in addition to contract writing, our clients who um, get offered something, the immediate thing to do is to just jump, right? You're like, oh my God, I got a great contract. Well, it could be one or two words that change the entire meaning. It could be, um, you know, giving away your intellectual property or, um, you know, a weird percentage of payment, like a weird payment option that doesn't really make sense or flesh out. So contract review and, um negotiation and revisions. That's a really big piece of what we do as well, because um, a lot of people, you get excited, right? Like we have some clients who have deals from Target and Spotify and things like that. And, um, you know, if I were to get a contract from Target, I would be like, yes, you know, immediately I'd be like, yes, it's take all it. in. <laughs> but the thing is, is just, it doesn't matter that you're an artist and you're community-based. You have every right to argue your intellectual property and your worth, just like anybody else. So that's what we do is we empower the people who um, don't have an entire legal team. They don't have corporate dollars. They, they, they need to know, and what we help them do is not only figure out what their goals are, but to let them know it doesn't matter if it's Target. We can still communicate back to them and tell target, no, not unless you change these three things. So that's a big part of it is just, um, seeing what clients are offered and then figuring out, okay, well, it doesn't hurt to ask. Here's how we're going to ask for more, or here's, 
here's how we're going to ask for clarification or for a rewrite. Um, so that's a really, a, a really important thing um, that I think is essential. And then from a business perspective, I mean, we were talking about, you know, doing these agreements with like a flour provider or a sugar provider. There are people who don't believe in contracts and you have to, as a business owner, make a decision that you're going to be fun. You're going to be yourself. You're going to be authentic, but you're also going to face all of the formalities. And if someone in your life or in your business doesn't want to do contracts or doesn't believe in these formalities, you have to make the decision of I'm not going to work with you. And it's really hard for people because when you have clients or you have these opportunities, you have to think like, can I say no? to this if this doesn't pan out if they're not fair or they don't give me the option to ask questions can i say no and the answer is yes you can of course you can um, but there's a fear in saying no or asking and i keep mentioning target which i love but asking target or spotify to to change the terms of something and so if they immediately say no like if target says no then you don't want to work with them um if a client says, I don't do contracts. That is usually the client who gets, who gets into trouble after asks for money back. Um, yeah. A business partner, big red flag. It's the client yeah, you like don't want to be working with. <laughs> yeah. Or like a, a, a potential business partner. If a business partner says, I don't do contracts, let's just shake on it. Well, how is that business partner going to be when you're selling your business or if you have a lawsuit or if you're opening a commercial space? So if they can't have a contract with you, who they know, who are you going to be working with on a daily basis, how are they going to do any other um, mature adult thing that's required for the business? So it's sad, but by doing these things, you actually elevate your business and then you also weed out all the people around you that are not serious and not taking you seriously. And so that's, that's absolutely needed in this. And it is, it is hard to do that. It is hard to say no to a contract or say no to a person or say no to a vendor because they don't believe in contracts. But at the end of the day, I'm telling you, that is the smartest thing you can do because people take you seriously and they know that you have control and power of your business. Um, and then, like I said, those are the people who ultimately always cause problems anyways so you're doing yourself a favor yeah it's almost like reframing contracts as accountability statements and it's really about two parties coming together agreeing you know to do their part and they're going to continue to show up in that way and if they don't there's consequences for that and so i like thinking about it in that terms because it feels almost like a little bit less scary i don't know if that helps anyone else but it's thinking just like you're accountable for this piece. I'll take care of this piece. And this is just a piece of paper that says we're going to do those two things. And as long as everything's there, I mean, I've told people this, like you can send your contract out on a, on a database. Um, You can, I mean, you can put it in like legally bond, um, you know, pink paper and spray it with perfume. (laughs) You can do anything you want. You can put it in a Lisa Frank folder. Like, Make it fun. You don't, there, there's no one way to be like, you, it's not you're sitting at a table, you're both wearing suits, and I'm there as your attorney, and I'm like pushing the contract over to that party. I mean, it can, there, there is a whole amount of law that 
yes, we have to have formalities, but that's what I'm talking about is it doesn't have to be that way where we have a document that none of us understand where it's sign it or leave it. It, there can be conversation, there can be collaborativeness, there can actually be fun in figuring out what some of these terms are or should be. Um, and these are living, breathing documents. I mean, that's the other thing is if you sign a partnership agreement today, um, we can put in there that every six months you're going to review it. And at the six month mark, you'll know more about your business and you can figure out what those terms will be. Um, but the really exciting piece is that, and maybe for me, I mean, I know I'm a dork, but the exciting thing about contracts is it's not just a liability thing anymore or liability prevention. It is having a document that can put in your business policies and procedures. So all of the things that you want to see happen. So I don't want clients to text me after 10 PM. I want someone to pay me in 15 days or less. Um, I, you know, have a, a two-time rescheduling policy and that's it. After three times you pay a fee. I mean, we can literally do anything that works for you and for your business. So um, it's a really good time and really good opportunity to, to implement those policies. Um, there's also the consistency factor. So if multiple people are asking you what your rescheduling policy is, I can take, I can copy and paste that contract clause and say, hey, I've attached your full contract. But just in case, here's, you know, a little snippet of the rescheduling policy that you signed word for word. If I don't have that, what I'm going to be doing is every single email, I'm going to be typing different things. There's going to be no consistency. So all of this business preventative stuff, it helps us sleep at night. So if we know that we have a folder with each client who has their client service agreement and their attached scope of work. And we know that every time the, the work changes or grows, we're doing another attachment. I can be as busy as possible because I have thought about the billing and the liabilities and I have developed a paper trail. I'm not sitting here worrying about all the different possibilities and all the different liabilities. Right. Absolutely. I think that's so important. And I feel like with my previous clients and I had my business, it was every contract I did, there was something new that got added and it was around, you know, I'm available at these hours on these days. Yeah. Like you talked about rescheduling, you know, payment periods. And I think that's something you kind of learn as you go. And I guess that leads me to my next question is just thinking about as your business is growing, if you are service-based or product-based, you know, you talked about these documents kind of being living and breathing. And so I'm curious, kind of how often do you recommend people revisiting a lot of their paperwork and legal assets? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, first and foremost, any sort of changes like growth. So if you if you're opening um, like a new location, if you're hiring like you like it's been just you and now you're hiring an employee or contractor, that's a really good time. Um, if you have a partner who's joining or leaving. Um, if you have like a new product line that, that may provoke additional liability, like the, the liabilities that you have have changed. So for example, if, if I'm an event planner and I used to, you know, only do non-alcoholic events, now I'm doing alcoholic events. Well, we have a problem. Like we need to get the alcohol related provisions into your contract. So it's sort of, um, there's the periodic check-ins. There's also the things that are changing in your life. 
whether you're expanding or not expanding, uh, restructuring, you know, the famous COVID word pivot, pivoting. Um, that's really important. I've had a lot of clients who they weren't virtual and now they're virtual. And so um, essentially what we need to do is we need to look at all your agreements and see does intellectual property captured or delivered virtually require new contract provisions or maybe someone needs to agree to, to different privacy or different confidentiality clauses or third-party interactions like maybe multiple people are going to be on one call. Do I have liability if, if the two of them talk and uh, commit a crime or, you know, like there's so many considerations when you do things that are different. So um, again, there's really no, there's really no right time because the right time is when you think that there's the right time. So if you have a, if you have a thing that's like gnawing at you, like, I have no idea if this is legally sound or binding or robust, or I'm worried about this or, um, you know, I, or something that continues to happen. So I've had so many people who want the retainer back. Okay. Well, we have to talk about that. You know, obviously there might be a service related thing, but maybe the way that the description on how your retainer is returned is, it's, it's too loose. It's making it so that you have to give everybody the retainer back. What if I told you we could rewrite this? And so we are still giving people the retainer back, but only if, you know, these three things happen, right? So, uh, you know, I, again, rambling, but any and all times, there's no, when, when people contact us, it's never like, oh, you didn't contact us for a big issue or, oh, you know, it's the wrong time. It, it's never like that because there potentially is always something to do. And even if the project is doing an overarching review of all the things you have, I often do that where um, a client will send me everything that they're using. And so then the project is I'm going to evaluate everything you're using and then give you suggestions on how to improve those items. Right. Yeah. It's almost like taking an audit of everything so that you can, really look at what needs to be edited. But I also like that you kind of said basically gut check. If there's even crossing your mind, it's worth reaching out. And if they have a resource like you at hand where you aren't causing or charging these huge retainers that are scary that make you kind of just kind of go, oh, well, I hope I don't get sued because I'm going to do this because I'd rather deal the consequences later than do the preventative work. So yeah, that's all such important points. And I realized that I have learned from talking to you today that I should have been doing all my contracts on pink paper. <laughs> my favorite color. Yeah, why not? I mean, any pink paper, I mean, uh, rainbow stationery, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, and the, the other thing is, um, contracts can be friendly. I mean, they can, we have to have legalese, but you can start off a contract by thanking the customer or the client and you can say to them, you know, I know you have a lot of options. I'm glad that we've contracted. Like the, there's sort of this um, misunderstanding that it all has to be serious. Right. Yeah. It kind of goes back to that relationship piece you were talking about. Like you can still make it personable, but it's still a legal binding agreement as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And our clients, I mean, they all do different things and they all have different plans and processes. And, you know, one person um, may, may, may do it on a tablet. So they have a retail space and the contract's on a tablet. Um, someone else does it by paper. Someone else has a 
an online client manager database. So that's another thing is we try to work on that as well as is determining the best implementation for their contract. Because if I write something and it doesn't work with the processes that you have and it's not implemented, so you sort of have this thing like, oh, I have this contract that my lawyer wrote for me. I'm not really using it. Well, I would rather we, um, you know, look at your processes and see, okay, where can this go? Can this, can this go at the bottom of another document you're giving? Can this, um, you know, sort of implementing this into your, into your client process. I think that's a really important piece is I don't want a client to be like, what do I do with this contract now? Right. Yeah. I think that's so important to have it as part of your workflow that's accessible and not this thing that's like hidden away that you can never find to reference. So that's a really good call out and just making sure that it is working with your, your own processes and the way that you think. Well, I'd love for you to tell everyone where they can connect with you further if they are interested in learning about services, or I know you do a lot of webinars and workshops that are also super valuable for people too. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, well, we're on social media, probably more than most law firms. So you can find us at Rational Unicorn um, Legal Services on Instagram um, and we're on Facebook as well. Um, we do have a seminar series called The More You Glow, where we talk about um, not just things like protecting your brand and contracts, but we often have other professionals come and speak. So for example, we have a nonprofit panel coming up where we have several nonprofit executive directors. So people on the call who are, you know, thinking about starting a nonprofit can ask us not just the legal questions, but ask an executive director to talk about um, what it's like to start a nonprofit or, or, or what they may want to know from them. So um, we're big as a firm on resources and resource sharing and collaborating. So, um, you know, we have people reaching out to us saying like, give me a list of great bookkeepers. Great. We'll do that. You know, so I just want you to know that not just from the legal perspective, we're here to help um, as much as possible with connecting people. But our website is www.rationalunicorn.com. Um, we offer 30 minute no cost service consults. Um, in order to, to sign up for that, you would go to www.rationalunicorn.com slash contact and put in your information there. And that way we can get you in our database and run a conflict check and schedule you with one of our attorneys. Um, but yeah, I'm happy, happy to be on this podcast, but also just happy to be practicing law in this way. I mean, it's, it's, it's very rewarding for me, even when I'm tired, um, <laughs> because this, th th this is what people do for a living. And, and these are dreams and passions and, um, this is related to sustainability, right? So if I can help people take what they love to do and turn it into making money for them and for their family and to give them um, a way to get out of one or several crappy jobs, um, it's it's what I love to do. So um, the biggest thing is just, just reach out and let us know where you're at and we'll meet you where you're at. Yeah, it's so amazing. The world needs more lawyers like you, Michael. <laughs> Oh, thank you. And I will definitely link to everything that Michael just mentioned in the show notes. And to wrap up this episode, I have a question that I like to ask all my guests, but how does being intentional show up in your life or business? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such a good question. <laughs> 
for me, um, I am a business person as my same personality as I am a person. So my, my business um, doings are an extension of, of me and my morals and, and my moral alignment. And so when I'm doing business-related things, I always go back to, do I feel good about this as a person? Um, is this aligning with who I am? Um, and if it doesn't, I don't do it. So I, I don't make... I don't make business decisions or move forward with business decisions that I feel um, don't align with who I am as a person. Um, and that relates to, you know, education and social justice and, and women's rights and, and, and black lives mattering and gay rights and all that. And um, it is very difficult for some to not, especially in the legal profession, take on this persona of like, I have to be in a suit and I have to be corporate, but um, I, I, I cannot do the other. Like I can't fake who I am and I can't put on a, a, a business persona. And so my commitment, and I, I actually just got an MBA um, online. And the reason why I say that is because there's a lot of like higher education and, and, and whitewashing and theory and, and academia. And so my whole thing is if I can be extremely educated and be in the systems so that I can be the person sitting at that table, you know, with a bunch of uh, boring uh, draconian people who are, you know, they're talking about status quo or they're talking about budget. I, I want to be the person who says, why not? And uh, why can't we do this better? Or why doesn't she have a voice? You know, give her a voice. I want to be that person. So that's my my job um, now. And then hopefully, you know, just in, in the future with all of my, my life goals is I want to be the person who's in the system that understands the system, that shakes it up in a way that it needs to be shooken up or shaken up. Um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, intentionality is treating business decisions um, with a, a, a reflection on, on, on personal morality and seeing if there's a match. And if there's a match, I move forward. If there's not a match, I do not move forward. Yes, I love so much of what you just said. That was a beautiful answer. And thank you for being part of that and really understanding the system and congratulations on the MBA too. That's not a small thing to do, especially <laughs> these days when there's so Thank much you. happening. And I know you have tons of clients that you're working with, so that's quite an achievement. Thank you, I appreciate that. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the call. And um, you know, you're you're a great woman who's who's doing the work and. Uh, I have the utmost respect for you as well. So thank you so much for um, for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm humble that I'm honored. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. That means the world. And I really appreciate your time and sharing all of this knowledge today. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, please subscribe to be the first to know when a new episode is available. And if you really love this episode, please rate and review the podcast so that other conscious business leaders like yourself can join our community of listeners. If you'd like to connect with me further, you'll find me hanging out on LinkedIn at Charlotte Chipperfield. 
Come join me there or check out charlottetruberfield.com for more resources and to learn more about holistic marketing. <laughs>